Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I am co-founder of Financing Solutions. Over the last 25 years, I've built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range, and I can't tell you how important it is for a business to have a line of credit so that they can make an investment in their business or even for unexpected emergencies. Our line of credit program is easy to get in place, inexpensive when used, and costs nothing to set up, making it a great cash backup plan that every entrepreneur should have. If you would like to learn more about our line of credit program, please visit us at fscreditline.com. That's FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com. Or give us a call at 862-207-4118. If you apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file that you can use when you actually use your line of credit. But just remember, the time to set up a line of credit is when you don't need it so that when you do need it, it is ready to go, approved and in place. And because it doesn't cost anything to set our line of credit up or until it's used, it makes a lot of, uh, it's a smart decision. Today, I am very excited to be speaking with James Hipkin from Red 8 Interactive. Since 2010, James Hipkin from Red 8 Interactive has built his clients' businesses with digital marketing, Today, James is passionate about websites and helping the rest of us understand online marketing. His customer value, his jargon-free, common-sense approach, James explains the ins and outs of digital marketing in ways that just makes sense. James, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Thank you, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Well, you know, uh, digital marketing strategy for for the companies that I've built um, has been the by far less best lead source for generating leads for our company. And I, for a business owner, I I know a lot about SEO, SEM. Uh, you know, which is search engine optimization, search engine marketing. And uh, till this day, I continue to put a lot of time and effort into it. And it's one of the key things that I believe is can really level the playing field for a small business. Is that the way you feel too? Absolutely. Um, There's so many, so much flexibility, but in that inherent flexibility, and the, so, and the options that you have, um, it's also the source of confusion for a lot of small business owners. Um, they don't just don't know where to go. They don't know what to do first. They don't know what order they should do things in. It's, uh, it can get very overwhelming, particularly if they've spent most of their life using traditional media channels. Yeah, and I also find, too, that um, I, I've made mistakes. I can't tell you how many times where I just kind of delegated it to my agency or whoever I was working with, my consultant, my SEO consultant, only to find out down the road that they were go- they're going they were doing the wrong thing. And I don't mean just from a technical standpoint, but 
you know, we, we could have made more progress if I had known more about, you know, SEO and SEM. Um, and so I think today's topic of, uh, today's topic is how my client's digital marketing strategy doubled, uh, in revenue. Uh, you know, I love case studies. I, I think that's the best way to learn. So taking a real life example of, you know, how your client or clients have really, uh, successfully increased their revenue, uh, is going to be a great topic for today. So, so let's just start off a little bit by talking about uh, what do you think are the first most important steps in coming up with a digital marketing strategy? The most important step um, is understanding your audience. The number one mistake I see being made is what I call inside-out marketing. Marketers businesses talking about themselves, talking about the things that they do, talking about how wonderful they are without truly understanding what the customer is looking for. What is the problem the customer is trying to get solved? That's an outside in perspective versus what many businesses do, which is inside out. And that simple shift, understand your audience Take the time to build a customer avatar. You know, what are their demographic characteristics? What are their psychographic characteristics? What is their pain? And what is the gain that they can achieve by working with your company? Simple stuff. A lot of people don't do it. And that makes a big difference on how you focus your messaging. It makes a big difference on what digital tactics you're going to choose. And it makes a big difference on how you cultivate the relationship over time. So that would, I would say is the number one thing that a business owner should do. Now that's not digital marketing specific, right? That, that is a basic fundamental truth regardless of the channels you're using, but it is even more impactful in digital marketing because it, Digital marketing allows you to be a lot more accurate and fine-tuned with your targeting. So getting the right message to the right person at the right time is easier to achieve with digital marketing than it is with other channels. So let's let's use the the uh, uh, drill down a little bit more when you say um, the you know understanding your client better. Um, uh, let's specifically talk about it in regards to digital marketing strategy or SEO or SEM. And, mm-hmm. and for those who are not familiar with SEO and SEM, SEO is um, just to cut to the chase here. It's natural searches. So, so with Google um, it's, if you look at when you type in um, I don't know, the, something like testing, right? The first two or three entries are paid for searches. All right. There, yeah, every single time that someone clicks on them, of course, uh, Google gets paid from that advertiser. And then what goes on the bottom, the, the next eight, so to speak, are uh, natural searches. So the, the, you do not have to pay for those, but they're coveted spots. Um, so when, when we're talking about um, understanding your clients, understanding what they're looking for in regards to digital marketing strategy, can you give me an example of, of what you mean by that? Well, let's talk about SEO. 
um, I frequently get asked about SEO and I almost always suggest that be aware of it, understand it, but it's probably not your first channel. SEO is a long game. It's a difficult game. There's a lot of competition. Uh, it can get very expensive if you're hiring experts who are actually qualified to do this. Um, and that harkens to the earlier comments you were making, Stephen, about the, you know, using digital marketing and uh, reaching out to outside experts. Unfortunately, the sad reality is there are a lot of snake oil salesmen running around in digital marketing. The cost of entry is very low. So lots of people claim that they can do this stuff when in truth they can't. And um, so SEO is a, is a valid strategy. You should absolutely be aware of it and, and sensitive to it as you're working on things. But there are probably other digital marketing channels. One of my favorite is very little old school, but it's email marketing. Um, your most likely source of new business is your current customers. The easiest and most efficient way to reach your current customers is using email marketing and creating value in that email marketing stream. Um, organic social media is another very cost-effective way to reach your audience, assuming that's where your audience is. And that brings back the, the customer avatar. You need to understand who your audience is and by implication, where they are in the digital landscape. Um, but let's say for example, organic social media is a valid choice for you. And, and the difference between organic social media and paid social media is very similar to the difference between SEO and SEM. Organic social media is your activity on your business pages and Instagram and Twitter and whatever LinkedIn, whatever social media platforms you're using. Um, and you're not paying for that activity versus paid advertising on the, all of those same channels where you are actually paying the channel to deliver your ad to a specific targeted audience. Organic social media can be a very efficient and effective way to reach your customer base. Hmm. Um, and again, the messaging is very important. How do you create value? Um, in social media, there's a commonly held axiom, which I think makes a lot of sense. It's the 70, 20, 10 rule. 70% of your content in, orga in organic social media should be just value creation, information that your audience will find valuable. Another 20% might be curated content, content created by other resources that you believe your audience will find value. And then the last 10% is a more of a sales and product messaging. I recommend to folks that they use that same strategy with email marketing. And when you do that, your emails get opened at a much higher rate because your customers are being trained that when they get an email from you, they're getting valuable content in that email, useful information. So they're much more likely to take the time to open those emails. So when the sales message is included, you're much more likely to get a response from it. The, the client that you were working with in this particular case where you, you doubled their revenue, uh, tell us a little bit about where they started. Uh, um, just, you know, what were they doing before? 
Um, you know, don't mention their names, of course. But uh, what were they doing before? How did you come into the picture? How you know? Uh, uh, how did it go from like zero to a hundred? You know, you know the whole. You know, sure. The thing. Yeah, um, they had. It was an e-commerce situation. They had been using one of the turnkey e-commerce platforms that are readily available. Um, I can't name it. Um, most of it just because I can't remember what it was. Um, they came to us and said, we need to have a new website. Um, it needs to be an e-commerce website. Um, so we went about understanding what their business was all about and building them, them a new website. And with with no significant difference other than the change in the website platform and using a website that was more internet friendly and more uh, effective in delivering their products, they were able to double their revenue in the first year. Subsequently, they, they adopted um, an approach that we recommend. We call it the hub and spoke strategy. And that's where you think about the hub of your digital marketing is your website. The various media channels that you're using are the spokes and your messaging and content strategy are the rim. When you pull those pieces together like that and attach them to each other, you get a very powerful connection between the information. And that generates all kinds of leverage, which maximizes the impact of what you're doing. And it sounds like a simple idea, but I see over and over again, people use, well, I do email marketing and I, I've got this going on over here and I've got this going on over here and I've got this website and they're all disparate bits and pieces. They're not connected. That idea, a simple idea of bring them together under a cohesive strategy where the pieces are connected and the website becomes the hub is, is a very powerful idea. And he adopted that idea. And he and his wife focused in on organic social media and email marketing. And through organic social media and email marketing in their second year, they tripled their revenue. And they're continuing to at that pace, even with COVID and the rest of the crazy stuff we've been going through in the past couple of years. Um, and it's mostly because they are they have a plan and they're bringing this thing together. They understand their audience. They understand where their audience is and they understand what their audience values. And they focus their, their content strategy on that knowledge and information. They're choosing the media channels that they can very efficiently reach this audience. And they're using the website as the hub for this activity. So they're tracking the information and, and drawing people in. There's content on the website that goes beyond the, the, the products in the store. And that's how, how they create the va their value proposition. It's, now a, the, it's a powerful idea. Now the, uh, this particular client, were they doing, did you have, were you doing SEO with them, SEM and email marketing and, is that where you what you were doing with this client, or was it focused more on like email marketing? It was they weren't doing anything to start. Yeah, and then they focused in on organic social media, building their presence in Instagram and Facebook uh, organically, and email marketing, building their list, building their gotcha. list, building their list. So, and, and they're aware of SEO. Um, like I said, it's probably not the best channel for them at the moment, 
Um, but they are aware of it. I talk to them about it all the time. So they're, they're doing good SEO practices. It's just not something they're investing money or time into. They're just being aware of it and doing the best they, they can as they're creating content. It's mostly about focusing on those two channels. Yeah, it's, so that's interesting. I, I never thought of uh, as natural searches in, in social media because we don't do a lot of social media. It hasn't really worked well for us. Right. So I just never thought of it that way. Um, we, we, we do post all our podcasts and our articles to our social media pages. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really, really track the results that much from those sources. Um it's just something we just do anyway. But um, uh, so that's interesting. Does does do natural searches in social media work the same way as natural searches in in uh, in uh, uh, SEO or or in other words in Google? No, yeah. no. It, it, your the terminology natural search isn't really correct mm. with. With organic social media, you're building followers on your page. Oh. And the way, the way the algorithms work is if there's a lot of interaction with posts, Facebook shows the posts to more people in your follower list. They don't show the post broadly, although they might. Um, it's mostly focused on your followers list. And it's about that engagement. They will get hundreds and hundreds of engagements on a single post in their social media channel organically. And when Facebook sees that or Instagram sees that, then they serve that post more often to more people. Um, LinkedIn works the same way. You get engagement at the beginning, the post gets shown more. You get more engagement, it gets shown more. Um, and that's where that, you know, working that channel um, can be an effective channel, uh, way to go. It also sets you up for paid activity in the future. Uh, this particular client has been dabbling in paid, um, paid social media where they're actually buying ads on Facebook and they've generated three X return on investment on, on the campaigns they've done. Now, the reason for that is all of the social activity and the email marketing that they've been doing, driving people back to the site, has been feeding the pixel. So Facebook has a really good understanding of who their audience is and how to where their what their audience looks like, and then they can we can create lookalike audiences based on that information. The same thing with their email list. As their email list builds, we can submit that email list to Facebook. Facebook will find the people who overlap, how do the Venn diagram works, and build a targeting algorithm based on that information, and then go out using their database to find all of the other people who look just like the people who've already signed up in your email list. So you can see how this oscillation and the hubs and the spokes back and forth um, builds on itself. And then you have a consistent messaging strategy. You know what the problem is that the consumer is trying to solve. um, And the things start working in concert with each other. Well, what was the project that this particular client did that really was eye-opening to them that they, they really drove revenue for them and and profit, you know, what, what was it that really kind of 
I was like, wow, that, that really worked. Right. I think it was the, their, their first foray into paid social media. Uh, Cause I, I literally told them not to for a long time, you know, stick with what you're doing, stick with what you're doing. It's working. Your business is growing steadily and at a good pace and we'll continue to feed the pixel when we're ready. We'll start to use that knowledge and information to start broadening your audience. Um, in this particular case, he had a product that was had a pretty broad appeal, um, appeal outside of his his core customers, um, and that's what we used uh, the Facebook advertising for. And like I said, he was getting a you know three hundred percent return on every dollar he spent on on that and moved all that product out in very short order. He's repeated that effort a number of times. Um, it's a small business. It's a husband and wife team. They don't have a lot of staff, so they're not, um, they're not trying to blow the roof off. Um, but they're making a living and they're making a very good, solid, um, business out of something basically not focused around their storefront, but focused around their website. Now, uh, Someone who says, uh, what's, well, if the, let me, let me ask you it this way. If what's the value in bringing on somebody like yourself to do that work or to consult versus just going out and doing it on, uh, on your own? I suspect the value is the gray hair. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, what goes with the gray hair? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The, the I mean, I, I, I agree. I think I, I have an answer. I'll answer my own question because I've been down this path. Um, one is the consultant will get you up to speed much quicker. Number two is you'll probably spend less money bringing the consultant on than the mistakes you'll make in, in, in what you paid on social media, because, you know, it's, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head right in the very beginning of the podcast. It's, you know, it's about your, your prospects intent. Yes. And, and you can, you know, if you spend money on the, in the wrong areas, yeah, you'll get some traffic, but they won't convert and you won't know about it because you haven't learned enough about how to measure it. And right. so you'll spend more money. It's better just to bring the consultant on, get up to speed really quickly. And then, you know, even then, if you want to back away from the consultant because you feel like you know what you're doing, the consultant will even agree with that. But usually the consultant will be adding so much value that they'll by far pay for themselves. Right. Correct? Keep adding layers onto the successful process. Yeah. And and you're drawing on the 40 years of experience and all of the mistakes that have been made in the past and, and the case studies. In, in my particular case, I had a long career, high-end marketing and advertising with a whole lot of brand names that you'd recognize. And, you know, dealing with large seven-figure budgets, I, I've, I've made the mistakes. I've done the testing. I've seen the results. Um, when I did work with Toyota, um, managed their digital budget in Northern California for a number of years, one of the things I introduced was this concept of landing pages. Um, they weren't using landing pages. They were just sending people to product pages. Um, and just the simple act of bringing landing pages in, 
technology that I'd learned about through my previous experiences, we were increasing conversion by as much as 60%. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's the, oftentimes they're simple ideas. Oftentimes they're just having that knowledge to know, uh, to bring the piece together here that was used in a different way someplace else, um, makes sense. Also, it's the discipline of not trying to boil the damned ocean. I mean, I see this mistake made all the time. People trying to do too much. Like I said, I say no a lot for this case study we're discussing, I, I said no to them for years about, okay, no, no, not yet, not yet, not yet. You're making good progress. Your business is building, you know, don't start, you know, splintering your attention. You know, um, when, uh, do you know who Peter Lynch is? Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Famous. He's very famous. And when the a business analyst asked him, how do you, to what do you attribute the success on the Magellan Fund? Do you know this story, Stephen? I'm sure he he gave a simple answer, like do he, one thing and do it great. I don't yeah, know, something exactly like that. Correct. He, yeah. the, the analyst was expecting a long and complicated response, and he said, water the flowers, prune the weeds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and when it comes down to it, that's what you alluded to testing before. Uh, again, that's another advantage of the hub and spoke strategy because you're, since you're using the website as the center of your activity, it helps facilitate testing. It helps facilitate tracking what's working, who's responding, what are they doing when they respond. Those insights are golden. If you've got all kinds of things going on in all kinds of different places, um, you don't know what those things are. Businesses who don't have a website. Well, I have a Facebook page and my Facebook page is very active. Awesome. So you're using rented land. What happens if Facebook changes the rules? You know, it's, it's dangerous. Consider Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and email marketing and paid advertising and, and Google AdWords. These are all spokes. They should oscillate back and forth into the website where you can achieve the tracking you're going after. This client that you're working with now, um, where, where do you think they're headed from a digital strategy standpoint? Um, I asked him that question the other day and he said at the, at the moment they're, you know, going to stay the course. They're going to yeah. keep doing what they're doing. Like I said, this is a small business and, and it's a mom and pop, well, husband and wife in this particular case, uh, operation. Um, so they're, they're keeping some balance between what they're doing in their business and their life. Um, you know, but the strategy itself um, can work very efficiently. I mean, I've applied this strategy to large corporations in my past life. Same ideas, just bigger budgets. Yeah, I think the, you know, listen, uh, I, I usually will say this to the end and, you know, just a lesson. I'm just a huge proponent of you got to have a lead generation strategy. Now, and like I use the word lead generation, but what what business terms is you got to have a marketing strategy. Now, when when I say to someone, you know, who's a smaller business, 
Um, and, 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 and a smaller business is like under uh, $3 million in sales. Mm-hmm. It depends on what you're in, industry. But you can't get bigger if you don't have a lead generation strategy that is effective. And the way that it's effective is it's measurable. Exactly. And, you, you know, if you're a small business right now um, and you're, well, you know, you know, the number one way that businesses usually grow is through pounding the pavement. You know, mm-hmm. they usually are making sales through, you know, hiring a salesperson or the owner goes out and does sales or you have a storefront and people walk in the door. Uh, well, that's not going to last in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to have other spokes uh, that are measurable, that are producing clients that cost less than what you are making from them. Right. And so, you know, if you want to move to the next level in your phase, rather it be from a hundred thousand dollars of revenue to 500,000 from 500 to 3 million and from 3 million to 10 million, you know, if you're going to move in any of those phases, you better have a lead generation strategy that works. Right. And right? it needs to be driven by the, what does the customers you're trying to attract? Yeah. And it needs to be measurable. Yep. You need to know, this is how much it cost me to get this client. This is how much I made from them. Right. Okay. And you know, revenue is not a good indicator of success. And so you show me someone who's been in business for a while. I'll show you somebody who can tell you their cost of acquisition of a client. Right. And then how much they made from that client. I'll show you that. So why, you know, if you're running a business, why not just jump to that now? Listen to this podcast. Listen to what James is telling us. Say, how much does it cost me to acquire a client through these different channels? Okay. Through right. what, clients walking in the door, if you have a storefront, clients that if you have a salesperson. And so if you're the ones making the sale, you better put some money about what it costs you to go out and make that sale. Right. So like an example would be like, so how would you come up with that, right? Just just to dive into it. You would say, okay, well, how much money could I make if I went and I got a job? Mm-hmm. And so, so if you went and you got a job and you would get paid, you know, $75,000 a year, plus your health benefits, plus anything else that's there. Okay. So let's say it's a hundred thousand dollars that probably, and you break it down, uh, maybe by, by, well, maybe by the hour, if you're the one who's going out and doing the sales, you got to say, okay, this is what it costs me to acquire a client. I got I got 10 clients. Well, that's a lot. So three clients this month, you know, I would have had, you know, it cost me, you know, $3,000 a client to acquire them. Plus you have your other expenses too, right? Right. So, you know, you better be making more than that uh, every time you acquire a client. Um, Have you had those type of conversations with clients often? Oh, yeah. yeah. couple of things. I'm going to just parse up what you just said. First of all, for a business that has a retail presence, and this is hard. I I get this, but 
making the mental perceptual shift from your storefront is the center of your business to your storefront is a spoke. Yes. That's hard, but it's very important. Online sales have gone up in the first two quarters of this year compared to the first two quarters of last year. On Online sales have gone up 22%. That genie's not going back in the bottle. Secondly, focusing on customers and, and your lead generation and your lead strategy. And, and I liked what you said about really what you need is a marketing strategy. Because it's sometimes it's not about traditional lead gen. This is still a, a lead strategy. But if you are in professional services, for example, more often than not, your primary objective of the website should be confirmation versus conversion. Professional services businesses tend to drive most of their activity, most of their sales through word of mouth. Executive A tells executive B about this great resource. Executive B goes to their website to find out if they're going to be worth their time and are they going to solve my problem. And they get to a website that was built in the 1990s. Well, that's the null set. They can't see the null set. And that's your measurability thing. And that's an important conversion uh, lead generation strategy that doesn't necessarily focus on conversion. It focuses on confirmation because it recognizes how the prime prospect is interacting with the business, what, how, how that process is working. The, the last point is about customers. There are all customers are not created equal. I had uh, Visa as a client earlier in my career, and I did a lot of work with them around this area. 80% of sales tend to be get driven by 20% of customers. If you've got a customer base where 30% of your customers are driving your sales, I mean, you, you want to grow those best customers because a, a best customer has five different ways that they can contribute revenue to the business. The longer they're with you, the more loyal they are, the better return you have on the initial investment required to get them. The longer they're with you, the better they understand how to use your products and services, which means they're less expensive to support. The longer they're with you, the more likely they are to pay full price for your products. They understand your value proposition. The longer they're with you, the more likely they are to buy more products and services from you. And then finally, the longer they're with you, the more likely they are to recommend you to other people just like them. So focusing in on customers and understanding who your best customers are, what they look like. Best customers tend to be heavy category users. Heavy category users have a different perspective on the products and services in the category versus the average user. And it's a function of their need and their need state. And, but understand that because the messaging that you're developing and this problem solution scenarios that you're creating for a heavy customer are not going to be the same as they are for, you know, somebody who occasionally uses the product or service. You think Those are that, important distinctions. Yeah. Do you think that um, thinking back to your days uh, when you were working with um, 
the, the bigger companies. Uh, um, you know, do you think back then um, measuring things was as big as it is nowadays? Uh, for some companies, yes. Yeah. Because now you have so many different uh, spokes, right? Mm -hmm. You have so many different areas that you can market in. Um, it just, you know, it. I think it's added to the list. Um, but the 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 reason I raised that point was that I social media, um, uh, SEO, SEM, all all the different channels. It just it has made it so much easier to. Um, to measure things. Absolutely. I mean, yes, it can also get more complicated, but in general, it, it really allows you to measure things. I'm just wondering if that, if, if uh, digital marketing um, has changed that from 25 years ago, um, that we're measuring wasn't as big a deal as it is now. I think it has. Um, there are still a lot of people who don't understand testing. There's a lot of people who don't understand. I mean, I, I can't tell you the number of times I see, you know, people, you know, chiming up in, in uh, social media groups, small business groups about, you know, what, how, how should I set my advertising budget? And, you know, people will chime in, well, it should be 10% of your sales. No, that's not correct. Um, if you're really truly measuring what you're doing, there's an old direct marketing concept. You may be familiar with it, Stephen, the allowable cost per order. Mm -hmm. And that's a profit first calculation where you're looking at your fixed costs for the product, your variable costs for the products and the profit that you're looking to generate for the product. You take that number away from the average order value. And this gives you your allowable cost per order. And that's what you can spend on marketing. That kind of measurement is, that's old school. That's classic catalog marketing from the 1970s. Um, it still applies today, but people don't necessarily understand it. So I think digital marketing has more power for measurement and it certainly gives you more resources to measure what you're doing, but still coming comes down to understanding that you what you should be measuring. Yeah, I it's powerful. I I think um, you know the old adage is if you can't you can't manage something if you can't measure it. Right. Right. What gets, what's um, get measured, get done. Right. So. You know, let's let's just do a summation and, and some recommendations of what what we kind of talked about today and what I heard from you saying. One of them is uh, that depending on your business, you really should have a digital marketing strategy. And uh, you know what you talked a lot about today was your social media strategy. Um, and you know. If you don't have something like that now, or if you do have something like that and you don't understand it, you, you got to kind of really focus back in on that. Um, using a consultant um, like James or others um, is very, very valuable because it brings you up to speed quicker. The, they, the, a good consultant usually should uh, uh, 
be able to make you more money than when it costs them. Uh, because of course you're in alignment with, uh, the idea that, you know, you want to be a long-term, uh, um, company for your clients. So, uh, so, so that's something we heard today. The, the big thing we really talked a lot about is, uh, focusing on your customer, you know, why are they buying? Uh, you know, what got them to you in the first place? It's all these basic business questions that, that we are all running around with our heads cut off, trying to do a million things when we all should, we all should be doing just maybe one thing and being really, really, really good at it. And then, and this one thing is, all right, focus on my customers. How did they find us? What do they like about us? What don't they like about us? Uh, what other channels are they involved with in marketing? And then the other concept that you brought up, James, which was, you know, the spoke in the wheel, which I think is a great visual, you know, the idea that you need to have more than just eventually, you know, if one spoke is super strong in your marketing channel, well, then you got to look at another spoke and maybe add another one to make that right. wheel stronger. Right. That's right. Um, what other things do you think that, that I kind of missed? Uh, you you covered it off well. Um, I, I can't underline enough how important it is to understand customers and to understand best customers and the differences between how best customers um, work versus um, just day-to-day folks. Um if we've got the time, I can give you a very quick case study from my past that focuses in on this. I worked with uh, um, Sprint Long Distance Division. We actually ended up working with all of the divisions at Sprint over the time period I was working with them. But um, this was back in the advertising agency world. And we introduced, worked with them to understand who their best customers were. We developed a program that specifically targeted their best customers. This ran over five years. Took about a year to get the program up and running and testing various things and seeing what was working and what wasn't working. And then we just continued to fine tune. Over the past four years of that five-year program, for the last four years of that five-year program, we were generating a 20% return on a $2 billion base of business. Yeah. Year over year, they never moved their market share one bit during that time period. Hmm. We kept those good customers longer. We sold them more things. They were calling customer care less often. Um, they were telling they were buying more products. We were getting conversion rates in 18, 19% on marketing communication because we were getting the right message to the right people and they trusted us. I mean, it was a huge, huge win. Imagine 20% return on $2 billion base of business just by, just by talking to best customers about stuff that was important to the best customers. Yeah, it's amazing. I think good small business owners that have been around for a while, they know it's all about treating your best clients really, really, really well. Right. It's, mm -hmm. and then, you know, and then they really kind of know instinctively what a next good client might be like, you know, when they come in the door, so to speak, you know, they, they instinctively know where to put their time. Let's face it. The longer you've been in business, the less you work. 
mm-hmm. right? You just put your energy into what really works, right. right? And I think we're talking a little bit about that today. You know, less is more. Right. Right. Don't try to boil the ocean. Yeah. Find the yeah. things that are really working and do them better and better. Yeah. I know one of the things that helped me out a lot, you know, when I first started my first company for the first several years, I was like reading everything in sight. And what I found was actually that it wasn't helpful for me because, you know, I'd always be coming up with a new idea and I, w- I didn't do a good job of implementing what I had read before. So I, I, I actually limited myself. I said, I'm only going to read one book, one business book a year, and, but I'm really going to execute it. And I'm really going to be good about picking uh, the book that I read uh, before I actually read it. You know, so, you know, it sounds like it's limiting. Uh, it depends if you're a reader or not. But I found that, uh, that I always had the ability to take what I uh, read or heard and really, really execute it. And uh, not only was it good for me, but it, it didn't drive my staff crazy because they would hate when I went to conferences because I'd come <laughs> back with a million ideas, you know. Um, as I got older, I, what I learned to do is when I go to a conference, um, whether nowadays it's online or in person, uh, I take all my notes and I highlight the top three ideas and that's what I implement. Right. You know, um, so, you know, it, I think it, it fits into what we're talking about today really well. Yeah, it does. So what was the, what was your favorite business book you've read? What was the most important one? It, um, it, it's one called The Inside Advantage by Robert Bloom. And uh, he's not a well-known author, but Robert Bloom was the original founder of Publicis, who was, is the largest advertising agency in the world. And I met, uh, I met him. Uh, well, let's see. I read, did I read the book first? Yeah, I read the book first, and then I reached out to him. And it wasn't just the book. Here's, an exa- here's a really good example of what I just said, where I read the book, and I, we really implemented it. We then brought Robert Bloom on uh, to do, to help us help our team implement what he had said in the book. And so the inside advantage was about, um, taking, uh, building and understanding your culture so that it's a competitive advantage in the field. And once you do that, you then can come up with your marketing communication because you're building off what your organization's strengths are. Mm-hmm. And so it, 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 it's all integrated. You don't come up with a marketing strategy that's different than your cultural strengths. Right. So that's where that's called lying. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. But it then creates an internal inside advantage because your employees believe and know what your strength is. And, and, um, and then your clients know what your strength is because you've, you've said it in your marketing material. Uh, and, and, and then you prove it when you deliver your service or product. So to me, that was the best book that I ever read and implemented and did a, something really, really good like that. Um, yeah. So it's a good example. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's a great podcast today. Uh, uh, that's all the time we have for today. I would like to thank so very much, uh, uh, James, 
for coming on today's uh, podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your business, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com. Again, that's FS is in Financing Solutions, creditline.com. James, if someone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Well, I think it would be, if you've liked what I've said about the hub and spoke strategy, um, go to hubandspoke.marketing, hubandspoke.marketing. And you can download the ebook that I wrote on uh, this whole idea. Um, and I'll get your email address at that point and, and we'll be able to get in touch with each other that way. Um, we'd love to hear from you, love to share these ideas. Uh, they're rooted in a lot of experience and they're relatively easy to execute, but having a plan makes a big difference. So hubandspoke.marketing. Um, and I look forward to hearing from you. Sounds great. And if our listeners are interested in getting any new business ideas, I tweet daily about lessons for business owners at S Halasnik, which is my name at S-H-A-L-A-S-N-I-K, S. Halasnik. And for all you out there, just remember something that we really talked a lot about today, that if you want to manage something, you have to be able to measure it. So everybody have a great day. Keep working at it and you'll get it. See you later.